But my hopes, not only for myself, but for all of the people I care about in this world, which includes all of you very much, are getting simpler. Something I want for all of us is that we always have a few difficult, challenging friends in our lives. If I manage to convince you to share this strange hope, maybe you'll also be receptive to the good news that baptism can actually be a help. It may or may not be a help to actually dealing with your difficult, challenging friends, but it is guaranteed to provide you with a few. I thought it was only fair to let Sloan Carter Slatery know just what she's in for today. So, Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. After Christmas, Ardell and I spent some time with family in Richmond and Washington, D.C. Our difficult and challenging friendship with a couple of dogs meant we made the trip by car, but we won't go into that. Except to say that the point here is that every last one of us and every... It's when I don't think I could possibly be a difficult and challenging person that I'm almost certainly in the act of being one in that moment in spades. Am I right? Well, on the drive, we listened to an interview with the author of Hanging Out, The Radical Power of Killing Time. The title itself says something about life in the modern world. Hanging out with other people for no particular reason is apparently an increasingly endangered practice. The book's author, a college professor named Sheila Liming, worries that we may actually be losing some of the basic skills necessary to hanging out. Now, the broader issue that concerns her is one I'm sure you've heard mention of in recent years. It's loneliness. I regularly hear a statistic that crystallizes the problem in a freshly depressing way. Since 1990, there has been a 25 percentage point decrease in the number of Americans who say they have five or more close friends. And it's bad enough news that 41% of Americans over the age of 66 describe themselves as lonely, but nearly twice as many, 79% of people between the ages of 18 and 24, say they're lonely. Why is that? And more specifically to us, is loneliness something Christians should concern ourselves with, especially given all the other pressing problems in this world? It's interesting to me, at least it is to me, that on the Sunday we read about Jesus' baptism by John in the Jordan, the first lesson we read is from the very first verses of Genesis. In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth and brings a living order to the formless void. Not only that, God pronounces every created thing good in the six days that follow. But maybe you remember how things will go wrong. Rather than live in the given abundance of the cosmos and more locally, the garden, we humans reach out and grasp for the one thing we're told not to touch. 
And what happens? Broken relationships, estrangement. Loneliness enters the story as humans hide themselves from God and from one another. People become estranged from their own bodies. A distance opens up between men and women, between humans and the earth. Within a few chapters, a jealous son of Eve and Adam will murder his brother and be doomed to wander the earth as a marked stranger, alone. The scriptures then of Christians and Jews don't suggest that loneliness and estrangement are just modern problems. It's quite the opposite. Loneliness and estrangement are the first symptoms of that first rupture in the goodness and givenness of all things. So whatever else Jesus' baptism was supposed to be about, I think it must have been an entrance into and hopefully a source of healing for people caught in a world whose brokenness presents first as a space that's opened up between us and made us lonely. In that interview about hanging out, Sheila Liming began spilling, spelling out ways we continue to actually build this world for loneliness. We, we too often build our houses and our neighborhoods and our cities for separation, and they become lonely. Our technologies sure seem to hurt the cause a little bit more than they help it at times. One poignant example was about third places, places like parks or cafes or libraries. For centuries, these third places have been spaces made for encountering humans outside the context of home and work. But many of us in the modern world would be absolutely terrified to show up in a third place all by ourselves without our phone, right? Which actually makes it a little harder to meet a stranger there, if you think about it. You might have to intrude on my conversation with the person I'm texting with who is not in that place just to say hello. Even more so if I have to take out those little earbuds to respond. It seems small, but it's a real dynamic in our lives that matters because human contact has always been a risky proposition, has it not? I might be misunderstood or judged or rejected when I reach out, so... Maybe I'll tend to travel the emotionally safer path in that moment and give my attention to whoever, whatever's on my device instead of the complicated person at the other end of the park bench. Of course, we all know that once you are online, it's not entirely safe there either. It can be hell. Psychologists tell us that anger can actually be a constructive emotion in our lives. It, it signals that something's gone wrong in a relationship. There's been a hurt or a breach of trust, and anger arises because of the relationship matters. It's a bid to set things right again. Contempt, they tell us, though, is different. Contempt is a cutoff. Contempt says, we're through. You're not even worthy of my attention. And how quickly we humans can move to contempt online where unfriending can come at the click of a key, right? All right, I hesitate to start a critique of our relationship with technology in a sermon. Um, I'd really rather not be found out as the hypocritical crank that I am. <laughs> but these technologies are a meaningful part of our lives, mine very much included. And they deserve to be part of a conversation about what a flourishing life requires of, our, of us. Curiously enough, this notion that more loneliness can be what we choose when it's the path of least resistance brought first to my mind, not 
Marshall McLuhan and all of the critics of technology, but C.S. Lewis. In 1945, Lewis wrote a book called The Great Divorce about a bus ride from hell to heaven. But the hell that Lewis imagined is not a place where you get a lot of terrible things that no one on earth would ever choose. It's a place where everyone gets whatever they want right away. What that meant was that if you have a spat with your neighbor in hell, you can just decide to have a new and bigger house a few blocks over. And if you have another spat with your new neighbor, which of course you will, it's hell, you can do the same thing all over again and again and again. So as the bus takes off from that lonely place, the protagonist looks out and sees the lights of the houses from above growing further and further and further apart over time. The lights furthest out being the empty castle of Napoleon himself, who storms around it day and night without a single enemy or friend, of course, in sight. Friends, when Jesus stepped into that line of people at the Jordan, I don't think he was looking to have some stain washed away from his soul. He also didn't step into line with a bunch of people who were saints and gurus who'd reached a higher level of consciousness either. He stepped into line with us, humanity, people who are lonely deep down and longing for connection, but people who also live in a world that's been built in some ways to make us even lonelier if we don't find ways to do the risky work of friendship. But friends are exactly what Jesus decided to make of us, fully aware of how difficult we can be. And he set himself to bring healing to this world by seeking out the loneliest and most cut-off ones he could find, closing the distances between us, and somehow, maybe in the process, even the distances within ourselves. So I return to my initial wish for you and for me and for little Sloan Carter, to have a few difficult, complicated, and beautiful friends in our lives, because these are the only kinds of friends to be had in this world of difficult, complicated, beautiful people like us, are they not? The good news is that the community of Jesus, which has increased by one at every single baptism since his own, is a fine place to find a few difficult friends. Not because we're a higher order of humans. We're obviously not if you've read your church history or just been to church at all before. But we do come to this place under a covenant to be truthful with one another about the lonely ways of this world. And by the light of that knowledge, attempt to build together a world that's a little less so. One holy friendship at a time. Because the deepest truth about us, one that goes back all the way to the origin of all things, is that before we were lonely, we were each declared to be good and beloved and created by God not for chaos, but for connection and life-giving relationships with one another and with all that is. Don't you think that by turning, that don't you think that turning our loneliness into the abundant life we were created for might be why Jesus risked stepping into that line of complicated humans at the Jordan River to strike up a friendship that's now extended all the way to us. 
If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.